microphone with a righteous tone. It's not about who's illest. Come on. My sixth sense is telling me that Christ is more unbreakable than Bruce Willis. We truth dealers. Hope you fill us with my crew spill is healthier. Lyrical theology, live from Philadelphia. Because of the Lamb's death, forever we'll stand blessed and triumphant like Rocky on top of the art museum. Here we are. All right, all right, all right. What's up, guys? We are live. Dave Wilson hanging out with the voluptuous John Jansen. (laughs) (laughs) Voluptuous. I I, I don't even know what that means. Quite voluptuous. Quite voluptuous. I I don't know. It's provocative. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Anyway, what's up, guys? We are finally live, uh, and we're going to be talking about demons and demonology tonight. Uh, So welcome, everybody, catching this live in the Reasons for Jesus Facebook group. Um, We want you guys to comment here, so... um, if you're watching this, feel free to drop questions, comments, whatever. We'll try to hit everything. This is going to be you know, as thorough as we can do in terms of one video um, talking about the topic of demonology. So it's definitely kind of, a, kind of a heavy topic here. And then also welcome to everybody who's watching this after the fact on YouTube. Uh, YouTubers, if you're not a part of the Reasons for Jesus Facebook group, um, we want you to come hang out with us there. And likewise, if you don't follow us on uh, YouTube, we're... YouTube slash Worldview Warriors. And awesome. uh, yeah, today we're talking about demons. Yeah, and uh, as always, when you're going to do a video about demons, we had quite a few tech issues to start off. It was insane. So if you do notice anything <laughs> going on as far as with the vocals or video, please feel uh, free to drop comments and let us know so that we can adjust and uh, act uh, appropriately for <laughs> the video so that we can get things in order. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, it was insane what we went through. All right, we already got a couple comments. I don't know. I guess just just being extra paranoid in case we're having any any tech issues here. All right, let me scroll down. I'll just take a look, see, and make sure we don't have anything cool going out of the normal. All right, doesn't look like, <laughs> doesn't look like any tech issues. And Tyler yet. Hood is just here for the Nephilim. So oh, we are going to be at least referencing that briefly, and that's good stuff, man. Um, so a couple caveats before we get into um, again just talking about demons and stuff like that is that we want to. You know, really kind of the heart behind our our videos that we do is we want to equip people to look at things from a biblical worldview. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the foundation of that, as always, is going to be um, is that our worldview is rooted in Scripture and in the truths that God has revealed to us. Um, so with that, you know, we look to the Bible as our, as our ultimate source of authority. And when we're looking primarily to the Bible and what it says on this issue, we're also going to be going outside of that. There's going to be other things we are going to reference. We are going to reference experience and history and just patterns that we see and things like that. But we just want to be um, cautious in terms of we, we want to let our level of confidence with an answer to a topic match the scriptural clarity. Okay, so there's some things that are going to be explicit in scripture that we're, we're going to be very confident of. There's other things that's like, okay, we're pretty sure this is true. You know, it's consistent with what people see. It's not inconsistent with the scriptural revelation. So that, that's just kind of a caveat that I want to that I wanted to point out before we get into it. And then the other thing too is it is honestly kind of tough to find, um, you know, balanced views on this topic because it's like on one hand you have some people who are going to talk about angels and demons Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and just be completely off the deep end and like every you know flat tire and stepping on a lego in the dark is a demon and you know and then on the other side it's like okay well we're just not gonna talk about that and whatever and you know so so there is there is a balance 
um, somewhere in there. So again, our point here is really to give you guys just a biblical filter um, to kind of look at these things through. You know, we've done a ton of research on this and from a variety of perspectives as well. Like obviously we're looking at things from a biblical perspective, but I've also done a lot of digging into uh, like Roman Catholic sources, um, like secular exorcists and demonologists okay. and stuff like that. Um, you know, so really the information we bring you is from a wide range of sources here. And again, our, our goal is to kind of give you the, the filter um, a little bit there of, you know, how we can look at it scripturally. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so, so Dave has really dove deep into this, uh, doing a ton of research. Um, and what's interesting as far as like uh, the world that we live in is that lots of people are seeking to an extent. You think about every other uh, year, there's different movies about paranormal activity or ghosts insidious. or demons, insidious. Yeah. Tons of things. And people are drawn to that. They're drawn as far as to the idea that there is this darkness, there is this other realm uh, where there's a spiritual activity. Activity. And so the question then becomes, uh, you know, are those demons? Are they something outside of that? And, and from the biblical lens, what are demons and where exactly do they come from? Yeah, so... Um and we have to kind of ask those questions together, I think. You know, what are demons and where do they come from? Um, so the word demon is kind of transliterated from, from a Greek word, but it, in, in the Greek it just referred to an unembodied spirit. So this could be something good, something evil, you know, angel, demon, whatever. Um, in the context that we're going to use it, we're going to use it broadly to refer to um, an evil spirit of some kind. Um, you know, sometimes like in the Old Testament, it'll refer to like a familiar spirit, an unclean spirit. These are some different terms, um, but it's a being that has intelligence. It is a being that doesn't have, you know, physical material. Um, that is, it, it has a will, it has emotions. So we see, for example, in uh, Matthew 8, um, when demon or uh, when Jesus um, removes a demon from a man and the demon pleads, send us into the pigs, mm -hmm. it's like, okay, it's exercising its will there. It's exercising emotions. So we see that, that these are intelligent beings. They have a will, um, but they are, again, in our context, evil. Um, now, this is what we can say safely from, um, from Scripture. And we know from Scripture, you know, Jesus created everything. God created everything. Um, Colossians 1.16, you know, all things were created through him. So ultimately, you know, any type of a demonic force is going to find its origin in God um, in terms of just God being the creator. Um, again, a very safe biblical answer to sort of why do demons exist would be just that God created them with a will in the same way that he created uh, mankind with a will. Um, and that before Genesis 3, there was some type of a spiritual fall. So again, that's the safe answer. We can be 100% sure um, that that is, that is a confident biblical answer. Now, I think that we can answer that a little bit more specifically. For that, we do have to go somewhat outside of the bounds of Scripture there. And that is uh, one book that I do recommend. I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to recommend a handful of books, but one of them here, I know some of you guys have read it, Reversing Hermann by um, Michael Heiser. Um, this is kind of a, um, he really digs into the book of Enoch in this, which some of you guys might be familiar with. Enoch is not Scripture. It's not part of mm -hmm. the Bible, um, but it is, it is an important text. Um, and in that, it really expands on some of what is, if you're familiar with um, Genesis chapter 6, um, which deals with a little bit before the flood and Noah and that kind of thing, it talks about this great cosmic event um, where there were, um, there, there's a couple theories behind this, but it talks about how the sons of God, you know, left their habitat, went to earth, produced offspring. Um, the Nephilim were the offspring with human, mm -hmm. um, human women. And, and some people will say that that is... Um, 
you know, there's just there's different there's different ways to answer that. But I think when you really examine the text, um, the text is pretty clear that what it's talking about is a grand cosmic event where there were angelic beings that fell um, and that then, you know, committed treason against God, essentially, and produced this offspring, this Nephilim. I know some people, I'm sure, probably lost us a little bit there when we referenced Enoch. We'll, we'll, we'll bring it back here uh, in a minute. But but the text of Enoch is really kind of an expansion on what's in Genesis 6. Um, it's something that was held by the early church. Um, it's referenced multiple times um, throughout the Bible. Um, Tertullian, Arrhenius, um, you know, the Testament of Solomon, um, pseudo Clementine homilies, you know, there, there's all these other sources, kind of intertestamental sources, new church sources, or early church sources that affirmed this theory. But anyway, this is just important because in the book of Enoch, it says that the um, what we would call demons now are actually the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. So it's this sort of weird hybrid race that existed um, long ago, and as they were wiped out, um, their spirits then became what we would consider demons today. So I think there's a very good um, case to be made for that. I recommend recommend checking out reversing Herman. Um, again, whether or not you buy that, that's cool. We can still um, kind of continue on here. So just to kind of clarify, <laughs> so you have the sons of God. Those would have been the fallen angels that basically uh, had uh, relations with the women at the time. Right. That produced the Nephilim. And then the Nephilim spirit would have been seen as far as the disembodied spirit would have been as far as the idea and the demons for the book of Enoch. Correct. Correct. Okay. correct. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's in a nutshell. That, that's basically it. Yes, yeah, so there's obviously and there's different types of forces. There's fallen angels that are angels that would rebel. With this theory, it kind of creates a distinction there. So it would say, okay, there's fallen angels maybe in this category, and then there are demons, which are a different type of thing in this other category, which that's consistent with Scripture. Um, Jesus himself tells us there are different types of demons that require different things um, to be removed. Um, but... Um, yeah, again, that's, uh, I, this, this was something that was considered factual by the early church, by, you know, Jews in the intertestamental mm -hmm. period, um, this theory. So again, I think there's a lot of weight to that. That's not something that I, you know, that's not necessarily a hill that I would die on, sure, but I think yeah. that is, I think that is a very solid theory. Uh, maybe we'll do a separate video on those events and on like the Nephilim, cause it is some crazy, crazy history and it's really well attested by, um, like other Semitic sources too. Like there's a lot of Ugaritic text, ancient Babylonian mm -hmm. text, um, um, you know, where, where people clearly believe this outside of just sort of the Abrahamic um, faith there. Indeed. So as far as uh, the demons, what is their goal? What's their end purpose? And what do, what do they exactly want with us? Um, you know, I, I think there's, it kind of depends on where we are. I think the ultimate purpose of, <laughs> if you guys can't hear that, that is John's adorable daughter. Um, yelling daddy, 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 daddy. Um, but <laughs> the ultimate purpose of, um, of demonic entities um, and things like that really is to keep our eyes off Christ um, is the biggest thing. If we are um, unbelievers in Christ, they want to keep it that way. If we are believers in Christ, they want to keep us ineffective. Um, you know, believers, they want to neutralize. Unbelievers, they want to, they want to stay that way. Um, you know, one of the things they want, they do, um, want worship is something, um, you know, when you look through a lot of the old, um, the old Testament, you know, you see this idea where you have the Jews neighbors are constantly worshiping idols and the Jews are even constantly worshiping idols, whether it's Baal or Moloch or, you know, whichever of these pagan deities, they're, they're always worshiping them. And a lot of times I think we can, um, 
sort of think of them as just being stupid ancient people like oh you carved something out of a tree and then now you're going to worship it like how dumb are you do you really think that thing you made is god and well, well no when you actually dig into the history of it no they didn't believe that they were creating gods what they believed is they were creating something that a that a god would inhabit mm-hmm. um, and these gods of course were demons <laughs> um, you know what we see in like Deuteronomy 32 um, which references if you're familiar with Michael Heiser I know I referenced him earlier he's got another really good book uh, called The Unseen Realm um, that he deals with a lot of this just strange supernatural thing that's yeah. we're not really familiar with a lot of times as you know sort of post enlightenment people um, but one of the things that he talks about is yeah Deuteronomy 32 kind of references um, the event of Genesis 11 which Genesis 11 I think it's 11 Either 9 or 11, but talking about the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And basically what God says is that he, he disinherited the nations um, and he put them under the dominion of these other um, divine, quasi-divine beings, basically his other heavenly host. And then um, in turn, his heavenly host basically... Um, Got people. They convinced the people to worship them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where you get the the identity. I think of a lot of these ancient territorial gods. Um, and then in um, Psalm uh, ninety two, God is then you know kind of judging them for their for their wrong rule. They were getting the people to worship them um, was basically what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, man, it's it's hard to stay on course here with this topic. Um, where are we at here? Um, yeah, and then this is this is sort of consistent too in the in the New Testament. Paul in First Corinthians um, chapter ten, he says, you know, what do I imply then that food offered um, the food offered to idols is anything, or that an idol itself is anything? No, I imply that um, what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. Um, and I want don't want you to participate with demons. So Paul is is referencing these pagan gods to demons. There's some kind of a spiritual entity mm-hmm. that is behind these, you know, graven images or or whatever. Um, so to answer the question, what do they want? Um, again, I think the ultimate purpose is to to deceive us, to keep our eyes off Christ, keep us away from Christ. Um, that's kind of their end. So whatever means they employ to um, to get to those ends. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, you know, false doctrine is a big one. They definitely want false doctrine. That's something that we're specifically told in uh, 1 Timothy 4. It talks about, um, you know, the doctrines of demons being things that are leading people astray. Mm-hmm. Um, Galatians 1.8. Uh, likewise, Paul is saying, you know, he's, he's preaching the gospel. And then he says, but if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel to you contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Um, so there is definitely a demonic element to a false gospel, to a gospel that is contrary to what is given in Scripture. Um, you know, and two immediate examples that I think off the top of my head here are Joseph Smith and Muhammad. Um, both of these dudes, you know, Joseph Smith, for example, he's, he's the founder of uh, Mormonism um, or the, the Latter- Church of Latter-day Saints. And, uh, you know, he was someone who was known, you know, both as a con artist and somebody who was heavily involved in the occult. Um, and when he supposedly got his revelation of, you know, the Book of Mormon and things like that, he was actually using seer stones or, you know, peeping stones, um, essentially. It was an occult practice. So he's dealing with this occult practice, and then he gets this gospel uh, that's contrary to uh, the biblical gospel. And it's like, okay, that's clearly there's a demonic element there. And then and then similarly with Muhammad, I believe he was, um, the story goes, he was visited by an angel that gave him his gospel that was... Um, the the Quran, which is you know again contrary to scripture, so I think those are very two very clear examples of um, demonic doctrine, demonic 
deception. Hmm. Um, yeah. As far as, like, you mentioned as far as the demon gods in Deuteronomy 32. So those demon gods, are they um, particular to set spaces of land? So this demon god belonged to this people, this demon god belonged to this. Because um, it makes me think of, um, was, it, was it Naaman that took some soil after he was healed, yeah. placed in his land, uh, which mm-hmm. basically, why would he have to take some soil from you know God's land, place it there so that he could still worship God. Yeah, is that because the land was essentially thought to be uh, belonging to those demon gods? That was how they saw it. Yeah, they they saw it very territorially, and and you can see that throughout the Old Testament where it'll talk about. There's at one point I don't remember which um, which people it is, but they're saying, oh well, the Israelite God is the God of this type of land, so we ought to fight them on our land, which okay. is over here, so then our God can help us out. So yeah, that was the same um, the same principle there as they saw very much a cosmic geography Mm -hmm. in that era where it was like okay this area is ruled by you know this god and that's it's really interesting too like for example like ashra um you know you see throughout thousands of years people worshiping a variant of the same god very different people yet they're sticking to this same god so it's it's really interesting um just when you do see that, that makes you think that there is there is really something to that hmm. so, to that sort of cosmic geography, and then and then that's really sort of something that uh, man, I wasn't even going to go into this, but um, one thing that kind of blew my mind when I was studying this stuff was so you see, so again, we're we talked a little bit about um, the Tower of Babel, which you're probably familiar with the story. The people gathered, they built a giant tower, basically temple to try and get God to come to them. God basically comes down to them disinherits them judges them splits mm-hmm. their um splits their languages puts them under the rule of these other um you know quasi gods and then uh we see a great reversal of that after the cross at pentecost hmm. because there then god comes again and he divides tongues but he divides tongues thereby to regather the nations that he formerly disinherited so there's this really big cosmic redemptive picture um, that is there it is it is like that blew my mind when i um when I came across that, um, but but yeah, and we see you know part of the work of Jesus was reversing this disinheritance that had been done, you know, mm-hmm. because in um, you know in Genesis God says you know I'm disinheriting you, and then I will make from a, pe- a people for myself, and He makes us Israel will be my portion. But then it's then through Israel that He you know through Christ regathers um, the nations. That's okay. um, yeah, beautiful beautiful picture there. So as far as uh, demons, you know, there, there's many stories where. Uh, uh, Jesus comes across a demon-possessed man, or there's uh, the, um, the woman that's the divinator that's kind of um, yeah, pestering as far as the apostles. Right. Um, so what exactly can the demons do? What what do what allows them to give access to certain people, not to others? Uh, this and that. Yeah. So I think I think there there is really something to the idea of like opening a door or legal ground, like participating in certain um, certain activities, I think kind of opens you up. At the same time, we don't see that on 100%. Like we see, you know, for example, Jesus. Jesus didn't, you know, he wasn't obviously messing around with the occult or no. astrology or anything like that, yet Satan himself came and tempted Jesus in the desert. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a general rule, yeah, I think it's, um, I think we, we kind of give an invitation to um, demonic entities 
through various things, generally speaking, things that are related to the occult, a lot of times things dealing with sin. Um, so I, I heard a really good analogy on this. Um, and Peter talks about uh, Satan being kind of like a, a lion, mm-hmm. you know, kind of prowling around seeking for whom he may devour. Um, and I found this really interesting um, just in terms of the way that lions hunt. So a lot of times you'll have an older lion who's got a great roar, but he's maybe not in as good a shape as he was back in the day. So the way that he, uh, the, the way that the lions work is they will have that lion kind of come out in the front and just give a massive roar to, in, you know, strike fear into the prey. And then while the prey is trying to get away from that lion, they run right into a trap of the younger lions that that take them down. And I think that's a lot of times the way that um, things like the occult. Um, and things like that work, which I think we're going to do a separate video on the occult. Um, but that is, uh, for example, um, a lot of times you'll have you know people who maybe a loved one will pass away or something, and maybe something weird's going on in their house. They think, oh, it's sweet cousin Meldehyde is here, you know, her ghost, and then. Uh, you know, that's kind of like the lion roaring and then to sort of deal with that, oh, okay, maybe you'll see a, um, you know, a medium and try to try to channel her and then things tend to get a lot worse. I actually had some family members that did that for, oh, wow. re- yeah, I mean, extended, extended family, <laughs> but, but yeah, um, so, so that is something that'll happen, um, you know, and I've known people who are even, you know, complete um, non-believers in anything supernatural, you know, very much naturalistic, atheistic um, mm-hmm. people who, you know, at w- one point thought they had a spirit in their house. So they went to a, you know, local sort of new age witchcraft type shop, bought some crystals and some sage and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, when you're doing that, you are essentially opening doors. Like that's not, that's not going to solve stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if anything, it's giving you a false sense of security because it's, you know, again, the, the goal is deception. So if they can get you to be confident in, your crystals to protect you. Um, hey, that's a win, yeah. you know, because you're not trusting in Jesus. So, well, it's kind of interesting you mentioned that, like you know, having something brought into our lives that you know gives access. And you think about as far as the way that the kings of Judah and Israel went when there were Asherah poles, when there was uh, mm-hmm. you know idols around. They typically didn't prosper. They uh, they weren't under protection, and they would have you know losses of battles among other things. Uh, whereas when you have the times where the kings would like tear those structures down and really get those out of the the uh, Israel and Judah, you would see as far as prosperity in the area, you would see as far as um, not being able to be defeated in battles. And, and it's just the reverse of that. So it's kind of like, uh, like you mentioned, as far as just giving access point uh, to it in the same realm, but seen it in the Old Testament lens because they're bringing on uh, access to an alternative God. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, and, and a lot of times it's not, you know, like I said, like those examples, like, okay, getting crystals or something to protect sure. yourself. Like, that's not something like no one goes through that thinking like, oh, I'm going to summon a demon, you know? <laughs> and like, and sometimes we do, like, I mean, the amount of people that mess around with like Ouija boards yeah. and stuff like that, like there's tons of stories of, you know, the craziest, you know, possession stories and stuff like that. A lot of times that is how it starts. Something like a Ouija board, um, a lot of times like tarot cards yeah. or one of those things, really any type of divination where you're seeking... Um, you're seeking unknown knowledge, future knowledge, otherworldly knowledge by superhuman means mm-hmm. as opposed to, or super supernatural means as opposed to um, that sort of thing. Um, anything, you know, seances, mediums. Uh, fun fact about seances, apparently Abraham Lincoln held multiple seances in the White House. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, I guess there's uh, there was a couple specific rooms that like weird stuff has happened, and uh, yeah, they dug into the annals of history, and uh, very interesting. Turns out, oh, honest Abe was getting it. Um, another one is going to be like altered states states of consciousness. Okay. Um, like people are big now into like astral projecting, um, like lucid dreaming, stuff like that. And really, that's actually kind of how. This started was actually I was talking to uh, Stephen Bancars, who we're actually going to have on our on our show here for one of the next couple ones. I think that's probably when we'll talk about the occult to have him in there. But uh, just talking to him about just sort of some of the stuff that he went through with um, doing astral projection and and things like that. Um, and it's uh, it's crazy. Like sleep paralysis is another one. I've done quite a bit of research on sleep paralysis and um, sleep paralysis. If you most people will have sleep paralysis at some point. Um, whether or not anything crazy will, will come out of it, you know, maybe, maybe not, you know, sleep paralysis is something we can explain naturally. It's a natural phenomenon. And basically what happens there is your mind is awake, but your body's not awake. So you're more susceptible to it if you're extremely tired, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. But a lot of people do have, um, testimonies of seeing, pretty much the same type of entities and being tormented by these entities when they're in a state of sleep paralysis where their mind is awake but they physically can't wake themselves up and that was that was actually one of the first things i studied when we were when we were looking at this just because when you look at the different things that people see like it's too much for a to be a coincidence when so many people are seeing the same um entities yeah, I, I mean, I remember when you were first going into the research, I, I actually was talking about that with you. And it's kind of interesting how things come about, but I was talking about how I used to have a few times where I had sleep paralysis and there would be like a dark figure in the door. Yep. What's interesting is right on the Reasons for Jesus site, right around that time, someone asked, has anyone else had experience of sleep paralysis? And so many people talked, and it was like an identical experience of there being a dark figure basically at the door or yeah. hovering over them. And it is, it, some people would just describe it as no that's just basically you half in the dream world half out but why is it so consistently the same and the other thing i remember within that thread was that in most cases people would say call on the name of jesus and then the the figure would flee so what's interesting is i'd be curious how many cases you have of atheist agnostic whoever that might be just calling out the name just because and there's power in the name to make it flee right what is it about it yeah exactly and it's crazy too because there are even people you know people who are looking into this seriously who are not believers at all but yet they still acknowledge okay there's something to this when Mm -hmm. um when people are crying out to jesus and then the, the things are stopping it same thing with like um like alien abduction um testimonies you know people who who talk about being frequently um you know, abducted by aliens and that sort of thing. It's like, now granted, yeah, there, there are probably a lot of those, um, those kinds of things that are hoaxes. Um, but, um, of the people who have, you know, at least, you know, kind of documented like, oh, they cried out to Jesus, the attacks stop. And that, that's one of the things that, um, you know, like sort of the alien things that people see, uh, or one of the things that are, that are very common among, um, among sleep paralysis, it's like John mentioned earlier, like the shadowy looking figures. Some people refer to those as the shadow people. Um, another one that'll frequently come in is the hat man, they call him, which is, um, he's kind of one of the one of the shadow people, but just seems like he has a hat. And I guess they're, they're basically silhouette type figures. Um, sometimes people see just what you think of, you know, if you think of a demon, you know, kind of the red and black, you know, horned, crazy looking, crazy looking guy. Um... 
And, uh, and, and then this is also consistent with what people see in um, just the altered states of consciousness like um, astral projecting and things like that. If you want to see some, you know, Stephen Vankars has some crazy videos going through different people's testimonies um, with astral projection and, um, and things like that. And actually one that kind of ties astral projection and sleep paralysis is, uh, if you guys are familiar with um, Josh Peck's testimony, who's he mm-hmm. co-authored a book with, um, with Vankars, but... Um, you know, not to, not. I mean, you should look up his testimony. It's pretty crazy. But essentially, he was in a state of astral projecting, and you know, came across these entities, and they said to him, "Hey, if you ever need help astral projecting, getting outside of your body, just call out to us." And then the next day, he went to astral project and couldn't, and then thought about calling out to these things and didn't. And apparently, they weren't big fans of that. And then everything just mm-hmm. essentially went to hell uh, in their house in terms of like it was. I think him, his wife, his one of his kids and then they had like an atheist roommate and apparently it got to the point where within a few days everybody was sleeping in the you know together in the living room like things went crazy and then one of the nights he and his wife shared a sleep paralysis so they were both in this state of being paralyzed and tortured by the same entity and like the same thing and it's like okay like how are you gonna like explain that away like oh it was a shared uh, hallucinogen or something it's like all right come on mm-hmm. you know um but yeah so i think all that stuff is is very much connected um there is a demonic um a demonic element to that um for sure for sure and uh and when we look at um sort of I guess, what would you say in terms of like, what can demons do? What do they actually have the power um, to do? Well, I mean, one of the things that you can think about is um, the one man that Jesus came across that was demon possessed. Uh, he he had superhuman strength essentially, because it said that he could not be bound by any man. Right. So when you think of movies like uh, The Exorcist, for example, because there's a lot of the horror movies that are out there, there's probably a little bit of truth to it. And when I was uh, younger in my uh, early years, I used to like watching horror movies, and I'd mm-hmm. sit there and I'd be like, "There's no such way a little girl's going to be able to, you know, uh, push a priest off of her and fling him against the wall." But if we truly believe, you know, what the Bible says, one of the things that says that that man could not be bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you think about that and you go, okay, so what does that look like? We think of someone like Samson who people couldn't, you know, take control of. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one of the things that I think we sometimes forget about is that uh, it does uh, gain us like a supernatural uh, strength ability. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's consistent through testimony too. Like some of the stuff that I've read was... Um, like demonologists who have gone through a lot of the archives that are at the Vatican in terms of um, their possession uh, or their exorcism uh, experiences, which I mean, the, the Roman Catholic Church has, you know, thousands of years of documented, you know, exorcisms and things like that. Um, not necessarily available to anybody, but if you're, you know, seriously mm-hmm. studying it or whatever, they'll they'll give you over the information. But yeah, I mean, that's something that is that is consistent through that. Um, as well. One of the things that I thought about too is uh, Stevens talked about it and other people have talked about it how a lot of times trying to gain access to uh, reach a spirit uh, is through like hallucinogenic drugs for yeah. example. And there's many Hallucinogenic cases- reindeer urine <laughs> if you guys caught our, uh, oh, our yeah. Christmas video. <laughs> But um, I've, I've uh, through physical therapy, I've treated uh, quite a few cops. What's interesting is a lot of times when they come across someone that has undergone an experience where they've been under hallucinogenic drugs, is their level of strength is way beyond what it should be for the size of the person, which kind of is goes along with that same thread of, you know, 
there's validity to if you're taking those type of uh, hallucinogens and they might be contact with a spirit that is giving them something that's beyond themselves. Mm. Well, yeah, and a lot of times that kind of thing too, you know, different um, medications and, and things like that can essentially turn off your brain's, you know, sort of... Inhibitors. Uh, yeah, exactly. And there's that aspect too. So the, the question there as Christians is, uh, what part do we say is science and what part do we say is spiritual? Right, exactly, exactly. And, and I think a lot of times there is very much a sort of a concurrence mm -hmm. um, with that kind of thing. And, and when you talk about um, demonic possession or demons influencing things, like it's still the person doing it, but it's also, um, you know, it, it's also a, a demonic influence. Mm -hmm. We'll get into that a little bit too. Let's check our comments here. Yeah, I just figured we'd take a quick peek and see what we've got here. So... And, uh, and towards the end, we'll, uh, we'll kind of go through and, and slam through a lot of the questions here. It doesn't seem like it's pulling all of them up. It's technology, man. Demon, technology. Demons are at us again, <laughs> man. Seriously, we so many technical issues tonight. Um, yeah. All right. Yeah, so, just like we, we've had a couple people that say that they've, you know, called out uh, um, during the night. So... Yeah, um, we so we were just talking about just the different things that demons can and can't do. So we talked about strength as being one of them. And that's usually a thing, too, um, when you look through just various, you know, archives and, and whatever, is that, yeah, strength is something. And that's usually something that's going to exist when there is, like, a full-blown possession. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of times they'll kind of distinguish if it is a, a, a severe demonic attack. There's a point where there's infestation, then there is oppression, then there is possession. Mm -hmm. um, and sort of how they, they parse those apart. So infestation is where you have a demonic presence in an area, things are being moved around, things are happening, the demons have the ability to manipulate to some degree um, the environment. Um, oppression would be when it's sort of latched onto a particular person, causing them physical harm, mm -hmm. things like that. And then possession would be when there is an element of um, them actually, the person submitting their will to this demonic entity. So Okay, so I, I told you about this the other night on the phone. Oh, yeah. This one was crazy. Um, this happened in, uh, I think it was 1994, I believe, 93, 94, somewhere in there. Um, I think it was in Philadelphia. And there was a, a dude that moved with his family um, into his sort of childhood dream home. Um, you know, he kind of went away to college, came back you know, bought his, his dream home, essentially. Um, and, uh, and a bunch of crazy things happened. They were there for a couple years. Things kind of escalated, things moving around the house, weird smells, things like that. And, uh, and it was an old home, and most of the activity seemed to be uh, primarily taking place in a closet that was under a stairwell. Um, well, they ended up co contacting um, some demonologists, the Vatican, I mean, not the Vatican, but, you know, sort of a local local priest and that sort of thing and, you know, did house blessings, typical um, sort of sacramental things. Mm -hmm. and, and things only got worse. And at one point they sort of isolated uh, or, or they, in this closet where most of the activity was happening, they removed this panel, this back panel there. Um, and uh, they said they didn't think that the panel had been taken off in you know, probably 
close to a century maybe. That was what they guessed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how exactly they, they'd known that, but they'd only been at the house for like two years. And this was completely sealed. So they open this up. They find um, the son's Legos that are in there, which, okay, that's weird. It's like, okay, sure, maybe there was somewhere else. There was a hole that went through and behind a stair or something, whatever. Um, and then they found this crumpled up piece of paper. And on the paper, on one side, was just this crude sketch of a demonic-looking entity. And then on the back of it was written the word Molech, mm-hmm. um, which if you know anything about um, sort of the Old Testament deities, like the Canaanite deities, Molech was the god that was associated with child sacrifice. Um, he, he was literally like part of the idol of Moloch was an altar that they would heat up to where it was scalding hot and they would literally set their babies on top of Moloch and let them burn alive to worship Moloch. Um, so just this wicked, wicked thing. Um, and that's actually kind of those ceremonies were what Jesus referenced uh, when he talked about hell. He said it's like the Valley of Gehenna, mm-hmm. which is where they would worship Moloch and where they would do these things. Jesus says that's what hell is like. Um, and uh, so anyways, they did some investigation. They see this word Moloch. They do some investigation. And it turns out back in the 1930s, that home had been used for illegal abortions. Mm-hmm. Um, that one that's freaks creepy. me out, man. Like just... Oh, just thinking about that creeps me out, man. Um, so, so that would be an example of um, sort of at that point they they would consider that um, a, a demonic infestation. It wasn't a possession. It wasn't a um, oppression. People weren't being physically harmed at that point. Sure. Um, but yeah, that one was great. And it wasn't no Hollywood ending or anything. It was they had the name of the demon. They had um, priests and that sort of thing come in. And, you know, in the name of God, I compel you, Moloch, to, you know, leave and, um, you know, claiming the blood of Christ over it and all that sure, good stuff. Sure, sure. So in your research, I mean, in a lot of the movies, you see... Um, like the possessed person come out and they start speaking in an ancient language, for yeah. example. Um, and there's even uh, videos that I've seen online where they talk about, like in Hinduism, they've got the Kundalini that you're trying to awaken, basically. Kundalini. 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 Kundalini warning. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Anyways, so the Kundalini is like a serpent that's supposed to kind of awaken, goes through your spine. Um, but even within that practice, there's uh, been seen as far as like... Uh, uh, speaking of like tongues and i don't know whether that's like a foreign language as well but would that kind of be brought into the same category as far as demonic uh you know um, foreign language or would that be a whole different i think it could i think it could when you look at hinduism um which is actually that's kind of the most recent thing i've started studying so maybe in like six months we'll do a we'll do a, a video on hinduism um but yeah hinduism is very very occultic um, you know, and, and Kundalini and even looking at sort of the, the, the Hindu versions of the yoga practice, that's kind of what some of the, what some of the goal is there is, you know, you're uniting yourself with the divine and, and things like that. And you're looking to unite yourself with something outside of yourself. Mm. And when you do that, that's a great way to, uh, deal with demons. Yeah. Um, when well, we look at it. One of the things I thought about is um, a lot of the videos you look up for Kundalini, it uh, shows the people like rolling down on the floor shaking, for example. Yeah. And when Jesus comes across the one demon possessed, I think it was a boy, if I can't remember, but he, uh, the ball, uh, the boy falls and tries to throw him into the fire. Yeah. yeah. So I just kind of like brought that image into my mind and, you know, yeah. uh, could that kid have been, you know, possessed with a Kundalini? I don't know, but yeah. Or something like it. And I think, so one of the things I'm hesitant to label different types of demons. Sure. For the simple reason of the Bible doesn't 
really lay down that much information in terms of the different types tells us yes there are different types but like if we're going to distinguish between like an alien looking bro and then you know like a classic demon looking guy and something okay like if you look at a lot of people's testimonies um people will refer to them as like shape-shifting beings Mm -hmm. and things like that and sometimes it'll look like something very attractive and then it will change before them into something else so how much of that is just sort of a different form they can take on Mm -hmm. i don't honestly know um but uh but yeah that is a very common thing is that is that people will will look at these things oh this is a nice that you know like josh peck's story you know when he mm-hmm. saw the guys they they didn't really he said look that terrifying or anything like that but he saw what they really were mm-hmm. you know days after that when they were coming at him um yeah um in terms of other other sort of things, um, so we talk about strength, moving things around, possession, oppression, um, you know, causing physical harm. Mm-hmm. Typically, it seems like it scratches a lot of times is what people will get. Um, they can cause ailment, um, physical ailment. We see that in scripture, mm-hmm. um, you know, Mark one twenty six. Well, yeah, talking about convulsing. Uh, Matthew 9 talks about uh, demons causing muteness and blindness and things like that. And we see that again as as um, consistent with people's research on that. Um, and typically when it gets to a point, so again, we're talking, you know, when you're talking infestation, then oppression, then possession, by the time it gets to possession, usually the person is not, they're mentally unhealthy, they're physically unhealthy, they're economically unhealthy. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things where you almost see, um, these entities just breaking people down all the way around. And there's just all kinds of unhealth, you know, basically breaking them down to the point where they say, okay, fine, I don't care what you do to me. You know, and you know, and that's that's when you have sort of a case of of full blown um, full blown possession. Um, so, coming from a Christian worldview, how do we approach that when there's like you know there are spirits of like um, deafness or mute or things like that? But how do we not go overboard as Christians so yeah. that we don't go? Well, I don't think that those diabetes were caused from the donuts that you ate. It was probably more from a demon. You know, because <laughs> right. sometimes we, we bring on sickness onto ourselves from just literal scientific reasons. And sure. where do we draw the line as Christians? Um, you know, I, I think with that sort of thing, we have to, in general, be cautious. Because, again, like we, we talked about our little caveat at the beginning where some people are, you know, seeing a demon behind every corner. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've I've heard stories of, you know, people in, you know, deliverance ministries and stuff like that where it really hurt more than it helped. And it was mm-hmm. sort of, you know, they go in and somebody, some guy comes in there and says, oh, I rebuke the demon of lust and the demon of mm-hmm. alcohol and the demon of whatever. And it's like, okay, those aren't really biblical things. He's seemingly just kind of making things up. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we need to be cautious not to be presumptuous. Um, I think we need to, you know, when we see things like that, you know, typically if a person is is demonized, um, there's going to be more than just one thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, you're sick. It's probably a demon. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have to we have to kind of look at the big picture. So that that would be one thing. Um, and then another sort of difficulty there is, is Scripture sort of tells us that we have three different adversaries. It talks about the flesh, the world, and you know mm-hmm. Satan and demons. So it's like, okay, how do you draw the line? Like, how do I know whether or not um, you know this is just my own lust of the flesh, sure. or if it's something demonic where it's sort of influencing that, or is it just sort of the world that's the world? Maybe the easiest one to distinguish, you know, from like perspective of lust or something it's like you can just go buy groceries and you're going to be hit in the face with lust and Mm -hmm. you know in whatever so it's like okay that's just you know sort of worldly systems but i think sort of distinguishing between the flesh demonic entities things like that can be a little bit tougher at least if it's to a lower degree but i think 
either way you look, it's sort of the solution is sort of the same. You know, it's resisting that, it's submitting to God, sure. it's digging into scripture, digging into prayer, um, confessing what is true, confessing the blood of Jesus over you. Um, so whether or not, you know, I, I guess I would say that we don't necessarily always have to make that call of which one it is. Mm-hmm. But I think in somebody else, we ought not be too uh, too presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Um one other thing that we see too there um, is uh, influencing world powers, like the Prince of Persia is referenced in Daniel 10. And this was a physical person, but it was talked to and rebuked as if they were rebuking some type of a spiritual entity behind that. Mm-hmm. So we see that demons, and again, this probably would go back kind of to like what we were talking about at the beginning of this, where you have, you know, sort of these different demon gods basically sort of ruling over these different territories, where mm-hmm. this is probably a more powerful type of entity than um than something else but but we can see that they they do have influence um in these areas um secret knowledge is another one um so you think like the girl in act 16 that's saying all this stuff that she doesn't know um again that's consistent with um the testimony of 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 people that we hear with that sometimes people do just have a secret otherworldly type of a type of a knowledge and and maybe they are someone who's practicing in the occult maybe they're not um if you saw the last video that we did we interviewed um we interviewed a friend of ours actually just kind of giving her testimony Mm -hmm. but with her she almost had just kind of like this secret knowledge healing ability sort of thing and it wasn't like she'd ever intentionally pursued that but that was something that you know Mm -hmm. stopped when Jesus saved her. Um, so, and again, we see like in Acts 16, you know, this girl that's, that has a familiar spirit is the, is the language and, you know, Paul rebukes it and, mm-hmm. you know, leaves it from her. And then, you know, they get mad. Her owners get mad. It's a slave girl. Cause now she's not going to make him money anymore. Um, but so that, that would be sort of, I guess, sort of an overview of what, uh, what type of things demons can do. I would say one thing to really keep in mind here. And again, lest we over focus on this is that demons and spiritual forces and Satan are all under the sovereign providence of God. Um, You see in, um, you know, in the book of Job, when, uh, you know, the accuser goes to, um, you know, hurt Job, he says, hey, I'm going to do this and this. And then God's like, all right, well, you can do this, but I'm going to put a condition on it. Um, And we see that consistent with through the New Testament too. Um, Luke uh, 22, you know, Jesus says to Peter, you know, Satan's asked me to to sift you like weed and, you know, whatever. And it's like, okay, Jesus is Lord. Like he's still like anything that happens is all going to be within his permission. They cannot go beyond God's sovereignty. They cannot go beyond um, God's permission. So I think that's something to keep in mind, especially if you're watching this as a believer is just knowing that God is sovereign. Um, Yeah. And he, he does uh, in several areas allow uh, as as give allowance to um, have demonic presences do something in order in order to bring him glory in the long run. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that Stephen mentions in his book, he said, you know, sometimes people look at um, when Moses, you know, uh, drops his staff and it turns into a snake. Yeah. They look at uh, you know the guys that mimic it as being um, uh, just being illusionists. But it says that they perform those things by their secret arts, and they uh, and it, it doesn't say that it was like a trick. Or it wasn't illusion. a sleight of hand. It wasn't a sleight of hand. Yeah, it was actual like power uh, from some secret art that they knew. Now, exactly. where did they get that from? Um, so I, I think uh, 
we also as Christians need to be careful that we don't become too skeptical about, oh, that's just, you know, sleight of hand. It's just, you know, there's right. no such thing as witches or this or that anymore because it's something that we see consistently through Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something we see cons- consistently through Scripture. And I think, you know, my... my I've opened myself up a lot in terms of just what I allow myself to believe. I think, mm-hmm. you know, really just, I mean, honestly, kind of since studying this, since looking at these things, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, you know, looking at people's testimonies of like astral projecting or something yeah. like that. Like I was just like, all right, you're obviously just hallucinating or whatever. But it's like at some point when you see all of these different, uh, you know, these different testimonies lining up, it's like, okay, probably not every single one of these people is lying or, you know, something like that. Um, all right. Okay, what do we have next here? Okay, so we already hit that. Um, other signs of like a demonic possession, um, things that are not maybe necessarily explicit in scripture um they'll talk about like wrinkles going away on a face, um, is one of the things where it seems like almost. skin is um is tightened back you know speaking in foreign languages or languages that the, that the human has no knowledge of hmm. um very foul language um you know again secret knowledge one of the things i thought was interesting is they said ex- um, exaggerated hand gestures but without any type of verbal emotion i thought was kind of a weird thing Really? Um, yeah, I thought that was kind of strange but yeah we already talked about physical ailments like night terrors um things like that um, but I'm still trying to get about that uh, exaggerated hand movements, like an Italian. No, I, I think so, but like, but without the without, without the face, without the face going. Um, it, when you look at something like um, um, like an exorcism or things like that, some of the things that they look for, and we actually see this in scripture too, um, is that uh, you know Jesus would sometimes ask the demon for their name. Like, you know, and he said, I'm legion for we are many Mm -hmm. and things like that. That's something that's been consistent throughout like Jewish exorcisms, Roman Catholic exorcisms is there's seemingly um, power within having the demon's name. Um, And actually kind of going back to the story that I told a minute ago about where they found Moloch um, Mm -hmm. written and things like that, that they felt was like a turning point. They had tried to, um, you know, do the same things they'd done without the name. But then at the end they were able to say, okay, you know, in the name of Jesus, Moloch, you know, you have no authority here. You yeah. have no right here. That kind of thing. And then that was actually when it away, when it went away. Um, but so that's a big thing. Another thing that they'll ask is like, by what right are you here? Mm-hmm. They will ask to the demon. And again, the rights. There seems to be some sort of a, for lack of a better term, legal um, type thing there. Just when somebody is opening a door, um, things like that. Other things that can be, you know, like occultic practices can be a door. Uh, habitual sin is another one. Um, you know, if you are like, if you're a believer and you're struggling with spiritual attacks and things like that, man, like examine your life, see like, do I have a habitual sin? Am I dealing with, you know, like openly in sexual sin or something like that? Cause yeah. that's, um, you know, that, that is essentially leaving a door 
um, open. It, it's interesting. You mentioned two things there. You mentioned uh, the ability to give secret knowledge, and then you also mentioned that in most exorcism practices, it seems like there's some power in knowing the demon's name. Uh, and uh, I recently read a book uh, by Dr. Michael Brown, who uh, is a very, very uh, popular scholar. With Hashtag me. what can Brown do what for can you? Brown do for you? But he talked about, you know, we need to be careful as Christians because, uh, you know, uh, not to be deceived by, uh, by spirits. He said because he knows of a church. Uh, the, the whole book is about basically, you know, not falling into deception within the charismatic circle. But he said that there was a church that was really big on casting out demons, trying to find people that were demon oppressed, and they would always ask for the name. But then that church ended up basically falling for a demon that gave them hidden knowledge that uh, basically strayed them away from basically the true gospel, uh, which is really interesting because, like you mentioned before, you know, Joseph Smith and Muhammad and a lot of those types mm -hmm. of things, the same type of thing comes where it's like, no, I have this better revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, so I guess before we get too far from this, so just looking at sort of other other interactions. So we, we talked about some different forms of demons that, that people will see. And uh, one of them that you'll hear about is like the, um, like the incubus succubus type demon, which is generally related to sexual oppression. Mm -hmm. um, that I, I thought was crazy when I was listening to, maybe we'll, we'll drop a link in it for Stephen Bancars had a video on astral projection and he was kind of like reading people's mm -hmm. testimonies and stuff. But yeah, there's a lot of like weird sexual things that'll go on there. Um, like there was one dude's testimony where he was sort of in this astral realm and he saw an entity and it wanted... Um, he said it basically had the form of his girlfriend, but he knew that it wasn't. But she was trying to do yeah. stuff with him sexually. And, uh, you know, there, there's just there's a lot of weird stuff like that. And, like, if you actually look at, like, celebrities, okay, like, ghost sex is now a thing that's really common. Uh, for example, um, like, Kesha, the singer, has apparently had a some type of a sexual experience with a non-physical being. You know, call it a ghost demon, whatever. And she actually, the song, her song Supernatural, that's what it's about. Hmm. Um, Lucy Liu claims that she has had sexual relations with um, a ghost. Metal World Peace, the, uh, he's a basketball player, right? I honestly know. Uh, yeah, I think he is. I think I think it was Ron Artest and he changed his name. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. I, could I don't really wrong. follow basketball. But yeah, <laughs> but seriously, like you can like look it up. There's seriously like dozens of celebrities who say that they've had um, some type of sexual encounter with huh. um, spiritual forces, and like that's weird. But it's like again, like at what point are we going to be like, all right? Obviously, some of these people are crazy, but. At the um, same time, it would kind of give more credence to the theory of the fallen sons of God. Right, exactly, because there is still that that sexual um, desire that you know that twisted, obviously, yeah. um, sexual desire that's going on there. Um, yeah, so that's that was a weird one, man. <laughs> when I researched uh, when I researched that, um, and when we look to okay, so what is like the scriptural account of that? Um, or, or just all of this sort of thing in general. Um, we actually have a, a decent size chunk of scripture here. Let's, uh, let's pull up Deuteronomy. Let me see if I can get it on the screen here. Uh, okay. 
Okay, it says, um, this is in Deuteronomy, it says, When you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of the nations. They shall not be found among you. Anyone who burns his son or his daughter or as an offering, anyone who practices divinations or tells fortunes or interprets omens, or a sorcerer or a charmer or medium, necromancer, or one who inquires of the dead for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, your Lord God is uh, driving them out before you. Um, so there's there's very serious scriptural scriptural warning. We see similar things in like mm-hmm. Revelation and Galatians, um, where it's really condemning um, these same things. So these are very serious things. This was you know part of the reason why you know when you look at like the bloody conquest of Canaan, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why that was so gruesome was because people are are doing these things, and and we see sadly that these are the type of things that are now um, really kind of coming into the mainstream in mm-hmm. Western culture. You know, you look at like Wicca is the fastest growing religion. Right now um in the west in general like tons of wiccans and you know you look at new age and there's a lot of you know just channeling spirits and interpreting omens or you know tarot cards and and things like that and like astrology like you look at you know like there's horoscopes everywhere like you know you're it seems like more likely to know what your sign is or whatever than um yeah, I don't even know. Like, it's just, it's crazy how mainstream a lot of this stuff has gotten. And this is stuff that is, um, I mean, if we're going to be honest, I think there's a lot of that kind of thing that's just straight up a hoax. Like, it's charlatans trying yeah. to make money. You know, you look at a lot of, like, the TV psychics and stuff like that, like charlatans, probably the majority of them. But at the same time, mm-hmm. there is certainly a spiritual element that we see um, that is a that is a reality of that um, to a degree. Um, let me get that off the screen here. Okay, what do we have next? Uh, we've got Samuel 28. Ooh, Samuel 28. You want to read? Okay, so this is a really interesting text. So there is, um, so we're talking a little bit about seances and things like that. Again, Abraham Lincoln had seances <laughs> in the White House. Fun fact of the day. Um, there is only one recorded seance in the Bible, and it's uh, it's extremely interesting. In uh, In Samuel 28, let me get that on the screen here. John, if you want to read that. Am I going through? Do you have both of them? I have 28, 3 through 19. 3 through 19. Okay. Just stop me when I, because I can't see that as well. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came in and camped at Shinnom. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw that the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by his spirit, and bring up for me whoever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, 
Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by the prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and you have become and has become your enemy the lord has done to you as he spoke by me for the lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor david because you did not obey the voice of the lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against oh he just cut me off <laughs> sorry Amalek. <laughs> i did cut you off there sorry about that um so so yeah so we see in this text so again this is the only seance that's recorded in the bible and, and basically what happens is um you know King Saul goes to this woman because he's not hearing from God. So <laughs> he thinks, oh, God's not listening to me. Let me go summon, you know, a medium and have her bring me a dead soul. Mm -hmm. Essentially, you know, the soul of Samuel the prophet. Um, and, and essentially what happens is, is God shows up, God intervenes, God raises up Samuel. Um, yep. and, and then actually the text goes on and um, pronounces judgment. You know, basically Samuel comes back and he says, hey, um, I'm not going to tell you anything except uh, you and your sons are going to die and the kingdom's leaving you tomorrow. Um, so so God takes this very seriously. And, and some people have, have suggested that maybe it wasn't uh, it wasn't Samuel. It was this um, this familiar spirit that was what she had. Um, I don't think the the text mm -hmm. itself allows that distinction there. Um, it says some translations render that she shrieked in terror when she saw the spirit because what she was expecting was her familiar demon yeah. um, her familiar entity that she would channel that would give her secret knowledge and she didn't see that she saw Samuel yeah. and that's unique because um, you know she wasn't used to an actual person coming back and, and again that was that was God intervening mm -hmm. and um, you know and again using that intervention to pronounce judgment so that that kind of tells you what's uh a little bit of what's what goes on with with seances mm -hmm. there um all right what did we have for uh for questions here i know we've got a couple that we were that we were kind of planning on hitting briefly i know we're uh we've we've been going for for a while now but uh yeah so um one of the things that i think would be interesting to talk about um because i think Stephen also mentions um you know power within the new age uh, within his book is secular exorcism and then uh, is it successful with the power of positivity and uh, is that you know deceptive oh yeah yeah that's a good one um so th so that is an interesting thing and like i said at the beginning like i've done a lot of research from various sources so i've actually the last few days i've been listening to mostly secular non-christian um sources of demonologists and exorcists and things like that and uh one of one of them's actually from michigan she's up in traverse city but she boasts like a 98 percent success rate or something in removing um demonic presences mm -hmm. and she's someone who you can tell from her language she's very new age um it's very much um you know it's all about 
you know, sort of reaching the divine and keeping away from negative, you know, a, a new age term that you're going to hear a lot of times associated with what we call demons is lower energy. A lot of times is what they will, what they will refer to that as. Um, and there's a lot of them that again, boast very high success rates in terms of getting rid of um, demonic entities and things like that. But again, when you, when you keep your biblical filter on, you keep your biblical worldview on, um, you have to realize that, again, the primary goal of demonic entities is to deceive you. Mm -hmm. So if they can um, convince you into thinking, oh, I can control this by my positivity, or I can control this by my crystals, or whatever, it's like, okay, they're getting you to buy into something other than trusting in Jesus. Um, so yeah, so I think it does make a lot of sense that we do see you know, non-Christian uh, exorcists and things like that having some success there. Because again, the goal is deception. So it's like, it, it's almost like, you know, like if you're an MMA fighter and it's like, okay, like, yeah, the goal is to win by like knockout or submission. Mm -hmm. But like, if you still win by decision, it's still a win. So it's like, yeah, you might not be able to possess somebody and get them to, you know, murder their family or something. But it's like, okay, if their eyes still aren't on Jesus, they still ultimately have the same end. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so I think that <laughs> kind of summarizes summarizes that. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that we should discuss is the idea that, you know, uh, for the skeptic, especially people that say, oh, ghosts don't exist, this doesn't exist, spirituality, you Christians are all nuts. Uh, you know, why doesn't demonization happen much anymore? Why, why, especially in America, are people so skeptical about it? Which, like I mentioned earlier, it's funny that there's such a draw to, you know, like, that demonic movie presence. <laughs> right. It's like, it's Yet, like we, we don't, don't believe we don't, in that kind of stuff. We don't believe in it. We yeah. just want to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I think in terms of, like, why doesn't this kind of thing happen anymore? Because that, that's a common one. It's like, oh, yeah, demonization happened all the time until video cameras were a thing, mm -hmm. and now... You know, okay. Um, so there's a few answers to that, I think. I think the first being that, again, the goal is deception. So if they can get you to buy into even just pure secular naturalism, mm -hmm. you know, again, that's a win for them. Um, you know, and um, another thing that we see is... Um, Historically speaking, the heaviest demonic activity is when a nation is being um, Christianized, mm -hmm. essentially, is when we see that the most, when a culture is being evangelized. That's when we see the most heavy demonic activity. Um, one, Another book that I would recommend to you guys, um, a book called I Am Not Afraid. This is actually written by a Lutheran guy. You don't usually think of Lutherans as being very sensationalist and... Um, you know, just out there, you like you don't think of them dealing with spiritual warfare. But again, the book is called "I Am Not Afraid" by Robert Bennett, and he is a missionary um, for the Lutheran Church in Madagascar. Mm -hmm. And he has a really interesting, um, really story. But he deals with uh, he basically plants churches in Madagascar, and in Madagascar, the culture is very animistic. Um, so animistic being that they believe in a lot of just spiritual forces and things like that, and there's a ton of ancestor worship. Mm -hmm. um, and, and literally people by the hundreds have ceremonies where they pray to their ancestors and they pray for their ancestors to inhabit their bodies. And they deal with tons of demonic possessions. And okay, yeah, no joke. When you are asking spiritual forces to enter your body and giving them that right, you know, you have that. And, like, I mean, he gives some crazy, um, crazy testimonies of just mm -hmm. them doing just services in church and just people randomly just all over the place, just all, like, vomiting, seizing, like, whatever is they're just dealing with this, um, this spiritual stuff. There's some, there's some nuts, um, some nuts stuff in that book, but it's, um, that's a good one. Um, 
so yeah, and then another thing is just where there is a cultic activity, um, there tends to be more uh, demonization. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, there is a rise, culturally speaking, in demonic activity. That's my opinion, I guess. That's my yeah. perspective. I see that on the rise. But I see that on the rise corresponding with the rise that we see in like the New Age movement, in the Wiccan movement, things like that. Sure. So that makes sense. As people are messing with this stuff more, this type of thing is going to happen. One of the things I, I think you touched very, very briefly uh, earlier on, but uh, how much of your research did you come across uh, about like aliens? Um, because it seems like a lot of people that I know that kind of got drawn into you know either New Age or um, occult uh, practices and things like that also have a draw uh, to aliens, and I and I think the idea of something out there. Uh, is uh, is something that people are drawn to because they yeah. want to believe that there's something, um, uh, and so aliens are uh, easy segue. Like, oh, there's got to be something else out in the universe besides right. us. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that kind of buys into what people want to believe to a degree, um, and then I think there's also very much a degree of uh, there's if you've seriously researched like alien encounters and things like that. Again, a ton of it is hoaxes. Mm-hmm. A ton of it is hoaxes or just things that can be explained by military operations, things like that. However. I think that if you do seriously research the evidence for aliens, alien abductions, things like that, I think the evidence definitely points to there is something going on there. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, again, biblical worldview, like I don't think the biblical worldview negates the possibility of aliens, but it certainly doesn't teach the possibility of aliens. But again, it does teach the reality of demons and of demonic deception. And typically you have, you know, people who get sucked into this... um, you know, like the ancient astronaut sure. theory or whatever, dealing with aliens. Um, there's a very specifically anti-Christian message there. There's always things that are going to go along with, um, like reincarnation. Jesus was just sort of a divinized human. Um, you know, just just things like that are always going to be associated with that. So I think that is a big reason why it's like, well, yeah, they're trying to get people to not believe in Jesus. That is the goal. They want to keep people's eyes off Jesus. Um, and then. Uh, the second thing there is just the the reality of people who are um, you know rebuking these you know entities, be it a you know an abduction experience or whatever, in the name of Jesus, and these things stopping you know permanently. Um, that I think also gives a lot of credence to the fact that these are not actual um, you know outer worldly beings as much as they are um, just demonic um, entities. Um, let me scroll through the comments here and see what else we got here. Let's see. Somebody, is that Angela, asked uh, the difference between deliverance and a um, exorcism. So exorcism is specifically a term that's really coined by Roman Catholics, um, and they have a lot of criteria there. They have to first bring in medical practitioners and make sure that it's not a um, psychological issue, and um, Mm -hmm. they have to get them medically checked out, and there's this big thing, and... um, you know, especially since like the movie The Exorcist came out in the 70s, the Roman Catholic Church has been very cautious to perform exorcisms. Um, but it's, it's a very official thing. Now, a deliverance ministry is typically going to be different from that. Deliverance might be more of a broad term. Um, exorcism would deal with specifically someone being inhabited with a demon that's having that cast out of them. Um, whereas deliverance, again, could just be a little bit more broad um, in terms of um, just any type of oppression, infestation, or, or whatever, or even maybe undefined mm-hmm. type terms that, that people deal with. 
in your research of like you know exorcisms that kind of go along with it uh there's a lot of discussion as far as you know possession versus oppression of demonic spirits yeah and uh, did you ever find anything in regards to can a born-again christian actually be possessed i understand oppression but yeah you know um my my take is that yes professing believers can be possessed but I don't believe that it's consistent to say that someone who is born again and anyone born again has the Holy Spirit, that someone who has the Holy Spirit could also have um, a, a demonic entity. So I, I don't believe that someone who has genuinely been born again um, can be um, possessed. But again, I... But more the it's kind of it's kind of tough to tell. I mean, there's there's sure. plenty of people who claim to be Christians who, who aren't. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, all right. What else we got for questions? I think I think that kind of generally works through a lot of the content that um, that we had kind of pre-planned there. Um, I know we are, uh, like I said, I think we're going to do a separate video on the occult coming up, and I think we're going to have Stephen Bancars. Yeah, that should be really hanging really out fun. with him for that. So that'll be awesome. My hopefully the internet's working on the other end because my. <laughs> It's just not happening on my computer. Um, all right, cool. Let me let me see what else we got. Oh, um, the distinguishing between ghosts and demons yeah. um, is one that comes up a lot. So this is an interesting one. Do ghosts exist or are they all demons? Um, so I thought it was kind of interesting. Again, I, I've done research with from a Roman Catholic perspective, and generally speaking, Catholics will say that there are both demons and ghosts. And usually they'll kind of distinguish that between a demon being something that's more powerful, um, a demon being something that was never a human spirit, and then a ghost being sort mm-hmm. of a deceased human spirit. Um, I, I don't believe that there are ghosts. Um, you know, Hebrews 9 says, you know, it's pointed for man wants to die, then judgment. Um, I think that kind of rules that out. Now, the reason that Roman Catholics do hold that there are such things as ghosts um, is actually because of some of the, the deuterocanonical um, texts, some of the texts that we don't recognize in the Protestant Bible, yeah. things that they sort of canonized at the Council of Trent in the uh, 16th century, um, where there's, there's one text that refers to... Um, that there's a time when a human spirit roams the land before they're sure, they're yeah. judged and that kind of thing. So so they have some allowance for that. I don't really think we do. But then again, even looking at Roman Catholics, they'll generally say, okay, most most often, you know, if it is you know a spiritual entity claiming to be a person, it's still probably a demon. You know, <laughs> <laughs> again, that's not sweet cousin Meldehyde uh, in there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, people ask a lot about, um, like sacred numerology and symbols and objects and things like that. You know, you hear of like pentagrams and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. For part of my research, I actually joined a, um, witchcraft Facebook group and dealt with some, that must've been interesting. That was very interesting. I mean, it was honestly, it was eye opening and it was really sad at the same time. Um, seeing people who actually at home have altars set up in their room and you know i didn't see anyone like sacrificing anything but i mean burning incense for different uh you know trying to get different things it's like you know someone 
post, you know, hey, my my boyfriend's having financial troubles. What should I burn in order to mm-hmm. sort of, and it, it's insane. And the crazy thing there too is that with a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of like pseudoscience that they package along with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they have answers. And if you don't really know anything, like I don't, like I don't know anything about, you know, like quantum physics and things like that. It'd be cool to get somebody who, who does know that stuff yeah. um, to kind of debunk some of those things. I've listened to a few podcasts that are, that are dealing with those, but you know, they actually have, you know, scientific-ish studies, you know, kind of backing those up oh you're releasing different energies and you know doing all this and it's all from a worldview that is fundamentally pantheistic or panantheistic mm-hmm. where sort of everything is everything is sort of god you can manipulate these things and and it's just a backwards worldview of the the christian worldview it says no god is sovereign we're praying to him we're worshiping him we pray for this sure if it's god's will it'll be done um but you know we're, we're not manipulating him and, and ultimately that's what it is is um these occultic practices are generally things trying to manipulate god or yeah. they might call it the universe or the divine or whatever but it's ultimately people trying to manipulate that for their own benefit um, I would say, unless you have anything else, I think we can kind of move to our, to our I, closing here. Not, not so much. I mean, the, the one thing that I thought about, uh, because I've been slowly going through Stephen's book is the idea of, you know, these various practices and, uh, you know, demand, demonic activity that could potentially be filtering into the church through, uh, you know, um, yoga, for example, is one example that yeah. comes up constantly within the group, you know, is that demonic? And then there's Christian yoga now. And then, you know, you see sites that are talking about, oh, we've got, you know, Christian angel boards, which is like a Christian Ouija board. And you, <laughs> you, you see all of these different yeah. things. And, and you know, you, you see this basically like we're, uh, you know, structuring astral poles within our church uh, to a certain extent, Jeez. which is a scary thought. Um, uh, with your research, did you find anything as far as with the cur- uh, church and like demonic uh, uh, presences, things that have been seen within churches at all? Um, I mean, I think if you watch, <laughs> like we kind of referenced it earlier, but Andrew Storm's got a documentary sure. on like the Kundalini Awakening that's on YouTube where and he's talking. There's about, mixed opinions on that. But, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. There, there are mixed opinions, but it does seem that there, there is spiritual movements going on within the church um, within the church that calls itself christian um now more more broadly i would say with the church it comes back to sort of the the timothy four where it talks about demonic doctrine and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and you know really a false gospel being presented within the church um you know you look at a lot of what passes today as christianity is um you know it's ultimately it's self-help it's god as your genie help him you know you want god to help you become a better you and you know or, or get whatever you want so i think i think there's a lot of Honestly, probably more danger with, not even probably, there's definitely more danger in false doctrine than there is in demon possession, demon possession, things like that. Um, and, and it's just, you know, for, for what's at stake there, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a, there's a lot, a lot at stake there. Um, so I, I would say a few things to keep in mind kind of as we close, um, you know, one of them is there's power in the name of Jesus. Yes. Um, again, if you're somebody who is dealing with, you know, you're in a spiritual battle right now, um, cry out to Jesus. There is power in his name. Um, Jesus is on the throne. Um, you know, shoot Psalm 110, most quoted text in the New mm-hmm. Testament, you know, talking about Jesus, you know, sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. Yes. Um, Paul expands on that in Corinthians, says he's going to rule from where he's at now until he puts all his enemies under his feet and his last enemy's death. So Jesus is Lord. Um, you know, submit to him, follow him. Um, 
turn to him, um, shut the door on any type of you know, occultish practices, which obviously should be kind of a no-brainer, but, yep. um, you know, open sin, things like that. Um, be slow to presume, you know, if you're if you're dealing with somebody who's who's going through some stuff. Um, yeah, I think let's uh, let's close with Ephesians six. Um, yeah, close with Ephesians six. So this is kind of one of the prime texts of uh, spiritual warfare here. Let me put it up on our. On our screen here, uh, I'll make it big. Here's this thing. You got it on there? Yeah. Okay. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the uh, schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak Mm, amen 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 all right, well, hey, guys, that uh, that wraps it up for now. Wow, this was a long video. We were going for a while. There's, there's so much stuff that we didn't even, that we didn't even crack on. But um, like I said, we're going to be doing uh, an upcoming video on the occult that's going to deal with a lot of this stuff sort of from the other perspective, so I'm sure there's more um, things there. Oh, one other thing I want to recommend, um, really solid book here called Biblical Demonology um, by Merrill Unger. Um, this is just very good. It's just a very good overview of just what does the Bible say, you know, Genesis to Revelation on the topic of demons. Um, that's very good but I hope this has been a blessing to you guys Definitely. Um, we love you guys we'll see you next time again uh, if you're watching on YouTube be sure to come hang out with us in Reasons for Jesus if you're only following us in Reasons for Jesus check out our YouTube YouTube World View Warriors and uh, on that note have a fantastic night grace and peace we love you all